Welcome to another episode of the Victory Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is a ministry of Victory Baptist Church in Valdosta, Georgia. To learn more about our ministry and the impact it has had in our community for over 50 years, visit VictoryBaptistValdosta.com. Now let's listen as Pastor Ward brings today's message from God's Word. simple thought of a couple of Wednesday nights ago and then I missed a couple of Wednesday nights out of town or either someone else was preaching and I want to I want to lead into the idea of developing a biblical world view some of you may know what I'm talking about others may scratch your head and say what in the world is that and there's others that probably already have it and uh, they just don't know the, what it's called. But if you're an, an individual or a person that, that you see the things through the scope of the Scripture, when you look at the world, you look at the world in relationship to what God's Word has to say. If you're a person that goes to church on a regular basis, you tithe, you raise your family as a Christian home, uh, you live the life of a Christian, uh, you probably have that already. You probably, it's already embedded in you, but there's a whole generation of young people that's being challenged about their view of the world. Now, this didn't start over the last 10, 12 days. You'll see in our study over the next few weeks that it started probably a thousand years before the Lord was born. And uh, we, have, we have information, we have documentation at least 750 years before the Lord came into the world that philosophers and uh, those, those kind of people were already beginning under the influence of Satan to start working on the minds of the people that they have this mindset of a humanistic worldview, and we have the results of that today. And so it's been a long time in planning for Satan, and you'll see that over generations and, and, uh, and centuries and even millenniums, you'll see that the devil has been working behind the scene to take the world away from God. He doesn't want any knowledge of God in the world. And he'd do whatever he has to do to eliminate any kind of reference. All of this that you see going on this day and hour, that you've seen in your lifetime and in mine. Uh, the Bible being removed from the public place. Prayer being removed from the public place. And uh, Christmas decorations regarding Christ. Oh, you'll still see the snowflakes and those kind of things. But uh, those uh, angels and all of those kind of things and nativity scenes being taken off the public square. All of that is part of this very intricate plan that the devil has been conceiving and then deceiving by for thousands of years. And so what's your view? What's your view? Uh, through what lens do you see the events of the world? What lens do you see the events of the world? What, by, through what, what lens do you make the decisions that you make? There are some of you 
that you won't make a major decision without praying. You'll not buy an automobile, you'll not buy a home, you'll not change jobs, you'll not, you'll not move away from the area without praying uh, and, and seeking God. You've got a biblical worldview. You see, the humanistic, the secular humanistic worldview of that is you just follow your dream. You know, you just, you know, you go where the big money is or, or whatever, you know, you, you know, you've got the credit, get it, you know. And so there's two different views that uh, we'll develop in our lifetime. And it starts very early in life. And now today, in, uh, in the educational systems in, in our nation, it starts at a very, very early age, the indoctrination of boys and girls in how they look at the world. I've got a lot to say, and I'm not going to try to say it all tonight. I'm just going to give you a few little tidbits, and uh, this is something that uh, I, I've been working on for Goodness, I, I really don't know how long. So we started out in, uh, in 1 John, and uh, you get to turn the pages of your Bible. I want to hear the leaves turning tonight, okay? We're in 1 John chapter number 2. Now, we love to hear them turn, but don't turn too long, okay? 1 John, we're only going in three places. And uh, we, we'll be here in John in the book of Romans and the book of Colossians uh, for a few moments tonight. But keep in mind, here's the title of our series, Developing a Biblical Worldview. Developing a Biblical Worldview. Now, we started out a couple of weeks ago here in 1 John, and then we'll quickly move on over to the book of Romans because we've got a lot of information to cover in a short period of time. And so we started looking at uh, the Christian's relationship to the world. Notice what he said in 1 John. And all of this is in the Bible. All of this is in the Bible. We'll stay with God's Word. In 1 John chapter number 2 and verse number 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And that covers an entire lifetime. An entire lifetime. is not of the Father, but of the world. Warning, the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Now, we started there last week, and we looked at four things. I had an outline of five points, but we only looked at four, and we moved to the fifth one tonight and spent a little bit of time there. Uh, we looked, and I'm not going to give you the verses. I don't have... Uh, all of that before me tonight. But we looked in the first place uh, that we are saved out of the world. Went and gave you Bible verses. I believe it's in um, uh, maybe, hmm, I forget, 2 Corinthians 14. I forget where it is anyway. But we are saved out of the world. Saved out of the world. Uh, in the second place, we are also separated from the world. That's 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 18. And, uh, and so we're, we're saved out of the world, we're separated from the world, according to God's Word. But then, on the other hand, uh, we looked at our behavior in the world. That's in Titus chapter 2 and in verse number 12. And then finally, we discovered our ministry in the world. Now, we're saved out of the world, 
This world is not our home. We're not part of this world. We don't drive our stakes too deep. But we are not so heavenly minded that we're not to be any earthly good. We still, even though we're not to love the world and the things that are in the world, and it is... It characterizes us as the love of God not being in us when we're more interested in the world than eternity and all of those kind of things. I didn't make it up. I didn't write it down. I'm just reading from God's Word. But we still have a ministry here. We still have a ministry here. And so we looked at our ministry in the world in Matthew 5 and verses 14 through 16 and that we're to be the light of the world. Now those aren't the only verses that tell us that we're to be a light in this sin-darkened world, our ministry in the, in the world. We're here. We're not part of it. We're not to set our affections too deeply in the things of the world. We're not to drive our stakes too deeply in the, in the things of the world. And in all of that, we're, not, we're, we're to... Uh, not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That's in marital relationships, and it can probably even cross over into business adventures. Not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. But then we still have a ministry to the lost and dying in this world. And how do we accomplish that? How can we win them out of the world without getting contaminated by the world? The Apostle Paul found that as quite a challenge himself. And he said that I become all things that I might win some. Now that doesn't mean that he gets drunk and goes down to the bar to win, to win those winos down at the local bar. Not at all. He doesn't get involved in, in prostitution that he might win the prostitutes. Not at all. But we are to love this the, the, we need to love the people that are in the world. Amen. Now, let's go, let's, let's move on. The next thing, and I wish I had these notes for you. Uh, we'll, we'll get them for you a little bit later. Uh, number five, not only our ministry in the world, but I want to look at tonight for a few moments our development in the world. Now look with me in a very familiar passage of Scripture over in the book of Romans in chapter number 12. There's two verses that you probably know by heart. I think somebody preached from it here recently. I think I preached from it this year. My pastor preached from it. I've heard revival messages from it. But let's just kind of take the, take the verse for what it really has to say. Now here, here we are. We're developing a biblical view of worldly things. Our lives will change, and you'll see that in this verse. Now, look, let's look at it. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. But look at verse number two. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may, ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. G-A-P, filling in the gap, making up the hedge. Now what did he say? Now what, there's two words that are, that are uh, 
are, that are given to us in this passage, one is the word conformed, and the other is the word transformed. I love this Bible. I'm telling you, when you'll take a little bit of time to just kind of study it and meditate on it, you'll see that, that, uh, that it is a life-changing book. And so I'm talking about our development in the world, and that is our being formed in the world. Little children are being formed in the world. Young adults, are, they're, they're, they're in the process of formation. Uh, they're, they're, being, they're being formed. And sometimes their forming is being man, manipulated by uh, outside forces. Sometimes, and we're going to see, there's just two views. There's just two ways to look at this thing. And it's important that we understand both of them. One, that we might avoid it, and the other one, that we might adhere to it. Now look at the two words that he uses. He, first of all, he uses the word conform. Don't be conformed to the world. Here's, here's the definition of the word conform. It's got the same ending as transformed, F-O-R-M-E-D. That's, that's to be made, that's, that's to, uh, to be formed to be built up, or to be, uh, and, and the list goes on and on. But what does it mean when it adds a little prefix on it, conformed? What does it mean? It means to be compliant, to comply with the world. But as a child of God, we can't be that. Now that it's not, it is not indicating that we should be militant, but it is telling us emphatically that we are not to comply we're not to conform to the world. And that's what the devil wants you to do, and that's what he wants me to do. That's why he led me the way that he did for 22 years before I came to the place that I met Christ. And by the way, I had no option before I met Christ. There's not anything a lost person can do but be conformed to the world. And that conformity, it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows, and they only have one hope. And that is to be transformed. You get it? Well, when this Bible uses terminologies like sanctification and regeneration and all of those kind of things, he's, he's, he's taking a wide brush and drawing the picture of the life of the child of God. Now, it means to be in accord. It means to be in harmony with now, now, let me give you the definition in one sentence. It means to comply, to be in accord or in harmony with prevailing standards. You know what the world has to say about it. Don't be interested in what God has to say about a situation. Don't go vote. You, 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 when you get ready to go vote, you go vote, you vote your, con, you, you vote your conviction, you vote... You vote your thoughts. You vote for your man or woman, whatever the case may be. And here's what they tell you. And you've probably heard it during the course of this election. They are, they are adamant about the, 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 the idea that if you vote outside of what they want you to vote, then you're the problem. Now that didn't just start. That's not anything brand new. And so the prevailing standards. Well, 
Everybody, everybody's doing it. You know, that's what the, just kind of go with the crowd. Don't swim upstream. It's a lot easier to just float down the stream. You know, don't, don't, don't go against the crowd. Don't go against, you know, what everybody says. Conform to the world. And the devil starts that at a very early age. Here's the other word. It's the word transform. It's literally the word metamorphose. It means, the word transform means to be converted, to change into another substance or condition. To change into another substance or condition. That's what's happened. That's what happens when we come to know Christ as our Savior we are like Christ was transfigured, we are, we are transfigured. As Christ came, uh, and, and we have a beautiful uh, picture of it in our baptism. When someone is baptized, when we lay that person back, it is a picture of the death and when we raise, and the burial uh, beneath the water, and then when we raise them back up out of the water, they come up with new life. That's what happens when you go from conformity to being transformed. Transformed. You see that? I'm not trying to be philosophical. I'm not trying to be intellectual tonight. I'm just trying to get to see a simple truth in this scripture that is robbing a whole generation of young people from God. A whole generation of young people from God, conforming to worldly standards. We have more respect for what Hollywood tells us to do than what this Bible tells us to do. It's not important what the Bible says about how I should behave and, and how I should act and, and the, the way that I should conduct myself, even the way that I should dress, the way that I should... Uh, the, the, the behavior that I should have, the things that, the music that I should listen to, the, the things that I'm involved and engaged in. How are they doing it in Hollywood? That's conformity. And so, um, without saying a whole lot more about that, let's see what the apostle said about it. Look with me in the book of Colossians in chapter number 2. I preached from these verses recently. And this is where I got off on all this. In Colossians chapter number 2 and verses 6 through 10, it was already here during the days of the Apostle Paul. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Look at verse number 8. Beware lest any man spoil you. Look at this now. Through philosophy, vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the, of the world, and not after Christ. And not after Christ. And so here is a picture of it that the Apostle Paul begins to draw for us. And it was already in place when he was here, and you'll see that in just a minute. Let me, let me hurry through my notes. Let me just, just kind of give you a, a few things. Now we have two views. 
if you're writing things down. The first view is a biblical spiritual view. A biblical, you know, a lot of times they call it a Christian worldview. But I'm not talking about a Christian worldview. I, I don't know what you mean by that. I don't know whether somebody's using that as a noun or an adjective. I, I don't have a clue when they talk about a Christian worldview. They might have it with a little c. I don't know. And so anything that looks religious becomes Christian to us. I'm not talking about a Christian worldview, not talking about a Baptistic worldview. I'm talking about a biblical worldview. And so it is a biblical, spiritual view of things to look at. <laughs> we, were, uh, we, got a, we were up with a, uh, uh, Avery and Lauren and Johnny and Stephen and all of us. We were up there a couple of weeks ago when I was on the accreditation team up in Buford. And so we got to eat supper with, with our grandkids and, and our great-granddaughter. And so we went to get her. You always got to get them something. You got to get them a got to get them a toy, you got to get them something. So we went to Target after we got through eating, had a good time with them, and we went to Target. And, uh, and so she's, uh, she's she, uh, Avery likes all this uh, uh, Disney stuff and Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse and, and uh, all the Frozen, all, all that kind of stuff. I don't, I don't know a whole lot. I know about Minnie Mouse and Mickey Mouse. I've been there 50 times, Disney World. And, uh, and so she, uh, she, 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 she was looking around, you know, this and this, and so she, she grabbed this little, uh, little package of, of stuff, and it was like a, it had a backpack and two or three things in it and a pair of binoculars. And she said in her own little language, she said, if I get this, I can whoop. I can whoop. <laughs> I can whoop. And you and I can whoop. We can... We can have a biblical, spiritual world view. A biblical, spiritual... Here's the only other option now, and i got to hurry. Here's the only other option. A humanistic, secular view. There's just two of them. Just two of them. One on either side. And, and I, can, I can say without apology tonight that every person in this building that's well, of, of age 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old and upward, it's already forming. You are either following af after the biblical spiritual path or you're following after the world, the humanistic secular path. One's going to lead you the right way the other's going to lead you the wrong way. And so it's so important that we understand what the pastor is talking about tonight in this matter of developing a biblical worldview. Now, how are these things? And I'm just going to read you a whole bunch of stuff, and then we'll be ready for prayer tonight, okay? Uh, here's, here's some things that kind of mold this either being transformed or conformed, transformed or conformed um, in our views. Our beliefs, our learning, our education. This, that's why in 1 Corinthians one twenty one the apostle said this, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom, listen, 
After that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom, listen to these words, knew not God. The reality of it is the more that man, and you'll see this as, as we go through the ages of time and we start, uh, we start talking about some philosophers and scientists and, and, and different uh, fields and, and art and all of those kinds of things, you'll, you'll begin to see how the devil has put all of this stuff to... In, in place, little by little, piece by piece, part by part, moment by moment, the devil has turned, uh, here's what I was about to say, the more they learn about science, the less they know about God. The more the world learns about life, the less they seem to know about God. And, and that's why the apostle would say, I'm going to give you that verse again. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. Thinking themselves to be wise, they became fools. Did not the psalmist say, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. And so the more they learn about evolution, the more they learn about these atheistic principles, the less they know about God. Hello? Pick up the phone. Education. Training. Here's one thinking. There's a, there's a whole period in history where... Sometimes there are philosophers and there's been times of theologians, but there's been times to where people put their confidence in people that think. You become what you believe, you become what you learn, you become what you're trained in, you become what you think, you become what you study, you become what you meditate on, you become what the influences in your life are to write a paper on all this stuff a few years ago and I just went back and got about 40 pages of a legal pad that I, I had to write all this stuff for another reason not to preach but then all of a sudden it became real to me that this thing about having a, a view of the world through the lens of the scripture is as real as life itself and as necessary as that The worldview influences, that's what I was just talking about, of secular humanism has been going on for a long time. As I mentioned a few moments ago, as, as early as 700 B.C., philosophy and, uh, uh, and, philosophy and psychiatry and uh, uh, astronomy, uh, astrology, and all of those things predate Jesus Christ. In 700 B.C., listen to some of these names. Some you'll recognize, some you just remember from school. But way back before Christ came, you had people like Thales and Socrates and Aristotle. Aristotle said this. He said, I believe in a God, but not in a personal God. Way back then. I believe in a God, but not in a personal God. Aristotle, 
And uh, then in the, uh, there's, there's three ages of what is called secular humanism. And, and those three ages of time, the early philosophers in the, in the days somewhere around 700 B.C. forward. And then the mid-humanistic uh, kind of revolution in America started in about the 12th century. And then you hear names, uh, and, and some of these overlap. I think Aristotle was a student of Plato. And then there's Epicurus. Remember, even the, he's, it's mentioned uh, even... Uh, the Epicureans even mentioned in the scripture, and Erasmus and Raphael. And then, of course, the modern day started somewhere around the 17th century. And then you get names like Pythagoras and Da Vinci and Darwin and Voltaire. And the list goes on. And these people are involved in astronomy and astrology and science and math and engineering and psychology and psychiatry and anatomy, and then finally politics, finally politics. And all of these, all of these thinkers and all of these philosophers and all of these high level places of learning, they have come to the place that they have become mad. I mean, not mad like an angry, like an anger, but mad like a scientist, like a mad scientist that's gone berserk in his practice. There's a, and you've probably heard this before, I, I don't have time to give you everything tonight, but uh, you've probably heard of, the, of something that is called the Humanist Manifesto. Have, how many of you ever heard that term, the Humanist Manifesto? You went to school, I'm sure. And uh, it's, it's actually... Now, in its third revision, the original one by Ed Wilson was printed in the, in the, in the 1930s. And here's, the, here's what it has to say, uh, and it's in these three stages, and just look at the progression of it. Back in the 30s, for the most part, it stated that a shared life should be a shared world. Doesn't sound too bad. In, uh, in the second place, it, it taught that we must save ourselves, that we must save others, and that we must save the world. This stuff isn't new. It's our responsibility. I mean, when you, work, you, when you use the word humanistic, the first thing that comes to your mind, well, that doesn't sound like a bad thing. You know, we think about the humane society and so on and so forth and, and uh, human you know, love in a, in a human sense and all of those kind of things. But look at the progression of this. And I didn't, when I started writing all these things down, when I started going back and just reading through those manifests, uh, here's, here's the thinking in the 30s. We must save ourselves, we must save others, and we must save this world. They believed in a free, universal society with no accountability. If it feels good, do it. Those kind of things came from there. They believed, and this sounds good, that, that common good should be the goal of life. The second rendition of it was given in the 70s. They added that there is no supernatural being, that only a material universe exists, there's no spiritual world, and listen to this one. Now, this is in the 70s, before COVID came about. 
it said that science is the only reliable source. Not the Bible, not the Ten Commandments, not what Grandma said, but the only reliable source in the world is science. You know what they're doing? It's conformity. You either are conformed to this world or you're transformed from this world. Science is the only reliable source. And then somewhere around 2000, these were added to it. Now, it's, it's, it's a very long and lengthy document, but I just took the basic things out of it, uh, not just that because they fit my message, but because this is what it had to say. In the... Um, the, um, in, in the third uh, writing, it says, uh, number one, that we only have this life to live. This is it. I mean, there's no eternity, there's no heaven, there's no hell. And you teach that to a generation of young people and, uh, and live it in a generation of young people we get to where we are today in America to where we're losing 80% of our 18-year-olds when they get out of high school. They get out, when they leave high school, they leave church. 80% of them. And then college is much worse than that. It's a matter of what's important. We only live this life. There is no eternity. Society must, and listen to these, society therefore must, number one, be humane. They're more interested in, in the minnows in a stream than they are watering the crops so families in California can eat. I'm all for taking good care of what God has given us. I want to eat for a long time, and I want to breathe. I have stage one non-smoker COPD. I know what it is to struggle to breathe. I'm quite aware of that. I, I, I like good clean air and I don't throw paper on the ground. If I find paper on the ground, I pick it up and put it in a, in a waste basket. I don't dump my trash out beside the highway. I don't throw things out of my car. Number one, we must be humane. There's, according to some of them, there is more in the heart of a tree than there is in the heart of a man, or equally. It's not, I shouldn't say more. The heart of a tree and the heart of a man. And so when you go whack down a tree, it's like chopping somebody's legs off of it. can't make this stuff up. What's the president say? This is not a joke. It's not a joke. <laughs> it's real. Society must therefore be humane. Society must be just. They must be compassionate. And then finally, society must be, and I'll bet a dollar tonight you've heard this word lately. Society must be democratic. 
Yeah. Society must be dem democratic in both the political sense and the social sense. There must be equal political and social justice for all. Well, so those are kind of um, those are kind of the things that uh, that bring this matter of conformity. Bring this matter of conformity. I've got another page somewhere, but it's time to quit anyway. Maybe it's best I don't find it. Uh, we'll look at it another day. I actually had two points to the outline. Oh, here, let me just give you the two points, and we'll look at the outline a little bit later. Here's the two points. Number one, <coughs> we are conformed by a culture. That's number one. We are conformed by a culture. Or we are transformed by training. We are transformed. And you see, that's what Jesus said. As a matter of fact, one of the meanings of the word discipleship especially in the, in the Old Testament, one that is learned or one that is trained. We transform by Sunday school and reading this book and believing this book and preaching this book. And it's the only way that we're going to be able to combat what the world is doing, not to children, but I'm talking about adults. <coughs> Had a first cousin raised in a Church of God home and not a Pentecostal home, but a, a Church of God home, and uh, raised in church and Sunday school and all those kind of things. He spent four years at the university and came out an atheist. Now, I'm not talking about recently. That was probably 40 years ago. Came out an atheist. He and I, we talked about it multiple times. He, he uh, the last conversation we had about it, and he, he he's, a brilliant young man. And so we talked about all these things about how that God created the heaven and the earth. One time we were talking about it and he went through this long thing about, you know, how that it happened and, and, and went through this whole evolutionary process and, and came all the way to the first human being. And when he got through with this long spill, I asked him the question, I led up to the question. I said, well, that, that's amazing. He said, it can only happen one time. And, of course, it started with the Big Bang and so on. It can only happen one time. And so I asked him this question. Was it male or female? And he was like a calf looking at a new gate. No answer. can only happen one time. How did it recreate if it could only happen one time? But the end of the story was this. I called him by his name. He was my first cousin. Raised together. I said, what if you're right and I'm wrong? I said, I've lived a good life. I've helped people. You know, I've enjoyed myself for all these years that I've been a Christian. 
I said, what if, what if you are right and there's nothing, there's nothing at the end of this? And I said, what if I'm right and you're wrong? It means everything. It means nothing otherwise. But it means everything. The Bible is true. One of the things that we, we're going to look at, and it all begins with this phrase. And it's in the scripture. You can stand, Tracy, come on the piano. It all begins with, with, this, with this thought. What is truth? Because that's the major conflict between the humanistic worldly views and the spiritual, biblical views. Where is truth? Where is truth at? You're a good, you're a good class. You're a really good class. Thank you for your attention. And uh, it might only mean something to one person in the building. But it's worth my time. Be